Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. Uh, really excited today to finally cap off this uh, Power 5 Conference series that we've been doing. We've been plowing through all of those out there, done the Pac-10, Big 12, ACC, and we moved all the way around the dial till we finally got back to the SEC. Now, was it on purpose that we did them last? I, I can't say that, but uh, there's always been the argument out there that the SEC was the strongest conference in football. Last year was a little bit different year, but we get to sort of dive into that topic now with a couple guys who know this conference well. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Brady Quinn, who's with us each and every week. Brady, how's it going, man? It's going well, man. I was going to say, I, I think it, I think you have a little bit of a bias against the SEC, Chatham. I mean, is, is that the case or no? I don't know. I, it, it's something I'm working through, counseling sessions. You know, we're, we're, it, we're, we're moving along. <laughs> and on the other side, we've got Derek Rackley, a guy who lives in Atlanta, a guy I worked with at the Big Ten Network, a guy who now works all over the place for 120 Sports. He works for Westwood Radio doing games, a bunch of SEC games this season, Oklahoma, Tennessee, to kick off the year. Uh, he's working back in studio with the Big Ten. Rack is all over the place. What's up, Rack? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Happy to be joining you guys, and um, thankful that we're actually going to have some real football coming this week. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah, I'm, I'm kicking off with Syracuse. How about you, Brady? I know you're doing games this year as well. Yeah, I've actually got UCLA uh, versus Virginia out in the Rose Bowl, which should be a pretty solid matchup. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, Joss, the Chosen Rosen, on uh, his debut. <laughs> Love those nicknames. All right. So, hey, we're going to dive into this SEC here real quick. I mean, obviously, this is a hot topic, especially in the South, because, you know, there's guys up north uh, near where I'm from sort of beating their chest that the Big Ten's back. Big Ten is back. Excuse me. They they got Ohio State to sort of cross that line. And, you know, the shift in the landscape of college football has happened. Maybe that's a little premature. But uh, we get to dive back into one of the deeper conferences, I think, in the country. And take a look here at the SEC. And, you know, as just sort of a matter of context, it has been three three years since an SEC team has won the whole deal. Uh, and, you know, there's been a bit of a trend toward uh, other conferences kind of breaking through and winning towards the end against SEC teams in 2013, FSU over Auburn. Florida State wins it in 2014, or the year before. And in the college football semi a year ago, Alabama gets bounced. So, you guys, I'm going to start you with you, Rack. Uh, is this just sort of an outlier that people are overreacting to, or are some of the other conferences starting to chip away at that SEC prominence? Well, I think it's probably a little bit of both, but I would start by saying that I think that's just the standard now that the SEC has probably set for itself, that it's not going to just be one of these conferences that maybe competes once or twice a decade, like we've kind of seen with the Big Ten Conference, the SEC has set this standard that every year we're going to compete to win the whole thing, to win the national championship. And all of a sudden, a couple of years go by without an SEC team winning it, and everybody's like, what's going on? Oh, is it shifting of power? Is it now going to be the Pac-12? Is it the Big 12? Is it the Big 10? Is it the ACC? And I'm not one of those that's just going to completely jump off the bandwagon of the SEC. I mean, just pull up the, the NFL draft tracker over the past few years and find out, you know, which conferences are landing the most guys in the NFL, you're generally going to end up with the SEC. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult because there's so many new quarterbacks that are going to be, or I should really say quarterback questions in the SEC this year. Um, with so many of the proven guys have moved on either to the NFL or via graduation. So we'll find out if this next crop of quarterbacks is ready to accept the challenge 
and take one of their respective teams to the national championship game. Rack, I couldn't agree with you more, man. And actually, to your point, you know, there's eight teams that are right now ranked in the top 25 that are in the SEC. Of those eight teams, five of them will have, you know, some sort of decision to make at the quarterback position where you're going to have a guy who either has limited experience uh, or no experience whatsoever. So there's a lot up in the air in a conference that has so much parity, but you know, and look, I'm biased. I was a quarterback. But I just think it's, it's the most important position in all of football. And, and for this conference to really get back to, I think, the top and win another national championship, they've got to have a team with some, you know, competent quarterback play. You know, I think you go back to Auburn's days when they had Cam Newton. Um, he was a little bit of an outlier, right? He'd, you know, been in Florida and kind of bounced around and made his way and all of a sudden kind of burst onto the scene and was able to do it. Uh, but that's seldom, man. It's hard to do that uh, unless you have a supreme athlete like a Cam Newton. Obviously, the question marks are out there, but I think the the undeniable thing is just the level of talent around the conference. There are certainly quarterback questions, as Brady mentioned, but it is, you know, you can hear a stat. You can hear, you know, X percent of guys went in or they are so many and so, such and such guys in the first round and second round and all these guys in the NFL draft. I think it's even more sort of overwhelming when you, you go and look at the list. You walk through sort of that SEC first and second team from a year ago, and this is basically the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, it's it's pretty unbelievable. When you look at guys like Amari Cooper, you look at T.J. Yeldon. Again, we're not even talking about Todd Gurley because he, he missed most of the season. Shane Ray, Dante Fowler, uh, Landon Collins. But is there any truth rack to this notion, which I think is often cited by a lot of people down there in in SEC country that they beat each other up. I mean, that the talent level is so high that in in this new environment of a playoff system, they're going to be playing one another throughout those those really October-November months, and it's going to be tougher to come out of the wash. Is that in part because the, the talent is, is pretty even throughout, you know, a conference that doesn't have a real basement like some of the other Power Five? Yeah, I think so, just because, you know, even last year you had a couple of teams that were trying to break in new quarterbacks and, Alabama with Blake Sims and what they were doing down at LSU with Anthony Jennings and Brandon Harris and, uh, of course, at Texas A&M as well, that you saw a couple other teams like Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Arkansas not only beat but keep, keep some games close with some of the powerhouses in the SEC West. But I definitely think there's some validity to beating up on each other, especially once you get late in the season. You get a couple of key guys dinged up. Maybe they're not in the lineup. And then all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you've leveled the playing field a little bit. Um, you know, I do think that there's other programs around the country that are really elevating their recruiting and their talent. Uh, you know, you, I point to a team like Ohio State, and I point to like a Sarkeesian down at USC and the type of freshman that he had on the field last year. I mean, that team's only going to be better. So if it's an Alabama or whoever comes out of the SEC to go to this college football playoff, I feel like they're going to get a run from anybody just because the recruiting level has jumped up so dramatically. Everybody's trying to recruit the SEC-style athletes, and they're starting to land some of them now. I can't agree with the idea that, you know, they're, they're SEC-style athletes. Like, I don't even know how to define that. Because um, you, know, you go back and you look at Ohio State and you look at how they won and how they really beat Alabama. They, they had the, the team with the better speed, the better power and strength, and I'm not saying every team in the Big Ten has that because I don't think there's necessarily as, as many cliche teams that your know, kids want to go to. Uh, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, maybe Wisconsin, but beyond that, 
I think as a recruit, um, you know, the, the SEC plays to a lot of kids in the South because better weather, better girls, you know, they're all about football in that conference. <laughs> but, you know, as, as far as you're talking about, you know, that SEC style of player, man, I mean, I just think there's parity all across this country. You know, I think the Pac-12 was really the best conference in college football last year. It looks like it's going to be the best this year. And, and you only have to go back to bowl season. When you match up these teams from other conferences versus, you know, teams in the SEC, and look at the SEC West, the vaunted SEC West goes 2-5, and 2-5 and five in bowl season versus other conference opponents. You know, A&M barely beat the 7-6 West Virginia team, which, which came out of a weak Big 12. And you have Arkansas over, again, Texas, who was a 6-7 and seven team. You know, bowl eligible, not even a winning record. And, and, and Arkansas, you know, ends up beating Texas. So, uh, again, like the, the SEC West, there's just not – I mean, everyone wants to talk about the talent. I get it. There's NFL talent down there. But there's other teams who are still able to produce and be a greater football program, a la Ohio State, who have the same amount of size and speed and talent. So, you know, I, I just feel like there's more parity in college football because – you're getting, you know, better coaching. Jim Harbaugh comes back to the Big Ten, immediately elevates, you know, their ability to coach. Urban Meyer moves to the Big Ten. You know, he all of a sudden makes Ohio State kind of the standard. And then you look out at the Pac-12. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian jumps from Washington down to USC. They're a factor. I think Chris Peterson will do a good job at Washington. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, improvements, I think, across the country in coaches. I just, I just don't see the SEC, you know, really just um, – you know, having that much more talent than other teams anymore. I think there's a few players here and there, but it, it, it's starting to even out, I think, across the country. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree because, and I say SEC style of athlete, and the reason why that, you know, kind of phrase came out is because they won so many national championships and they were putting so many guys in the National Football League. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of come cliche a little bit, that the, the athletes that are going to the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Auburns, the LSUs, the Floridas of the world are the players that we're generally hearing a lot as far as the NFL draft and, and going to play on Sundays. But, yeah, I, I agree with a ton of that. I mean, you look at, up at Oregon. We really haven't even talked about the Oregon Ducks yet. Just think about all the speed that's going to be coming back on that team this year. Having Royce Freeman come back after an outstanding freshman season as a running back, setting Pac-12 freshman records, and they're going to add Vernon Adams, a guy who's going to obviously take a step up a level, but he has put up time numbers at the FCS level, and he's going to have a great supporting cast. So you can just go up and down that conference. Stanford hasn't even been a team that we've really talked about. They had kind of an, an unstandard, uh, un-Stanford-like year last year. But trust me, Stanford will be back this year because they play great defense, and I think their quarterback is only going to get better. So, yes, there is a, a tremendous amount of parity because – you also talk about in the Big 12, Trevon Boykin. I mean, he's like a Heisman favorite right now, and he has TCU in the conversation as a team already that's penciled in to go to the college football playoffs. I mean, we're talking about TCU. This is not supposed to be one of the powerhouse teams in college right. football, but they are now. Well, oddly enough, and this helps us sort of transition to what's actually anticipated to happen or what has been happening in the SEC now, but 
In some of those other conferences you mentioned, uh, Big 12 being one of them where TCU is sort of the runaway favorite in part because Boykin is returning and, you know, Bryce Petty isn't. Baylor's, I think, nipping at the heels, but because of the unsettled quarterback situation, it's it was nearly unanimous that TCU would run that through. Big 10 sits in a similar situation where Ohio State just blew away sort of the preseason coaches poll kind of environment. Even in the SEC, the absence of Jameis Winston, but, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a thought process out there that Clemson will be – a team to potentially talent, uh, challenge Florida State, but by and large, I think the talent at Florida State is head and shoulders above most of what's out there. Uh, is the SEC sort of moving towards that, where Alabama is your perennial, and there is enough gap between them, or are the Auburns of the world and you know some of the other programs, even Ole Miss and Mississippi State, are they starting to close that gap, or uh, where the SEC isn't such a slam dunk as to who's going to end up on top? I mean, I think when you look at the overall recruiting. Uh, landscape in the SEC. The number one recruit back in 2013 was a, guy, a kid named Robert Condici, who now plays defensive end, kind of de-tackle for Ole Miss. You know, this kid is essentially, we can compare him to Jadavion Clowney, as far as his overall physical ability and the impact he can have on, like, on a team and on a game. I mean, Ole Miss, of all places, is, is getting, you know, the number one guy in the country. There's a lot to be said to that. I mean, you can look across um, – you know, really their roster, look at some of the talent they have. Larry Tunsil, their left tackle, he looks to be possibly a first-round draft pick as a blindside tackle for someone in the NFL. Laquan Treadwell might be one of the better wide receivers in the country. I mean, I think across the board, you know, you could talk about other teams in the SEC. Butch Jones has done a fantastic job at Tennessee. They can they continue to, to build off the progress they've made so far, and particularly the way they've recruited, but the way he's coached. Um, so I, I think it's just it's a product of, more schools getting, you know, more exposure. I think it's, you know, coaches doing a better job of really digging out, uh, you know, kids in, in, I don't want to say enemy territory, but in competitive territory anymore. I don't think Nick, Nick Saban, he's, you know, the greatest coach in college football at the moment. Although, but I don't know he necessarily has the cliche he once did. If you're talking about 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, those years when he really had it rolling. I don't know if it's the same anymore. Maybe Gus Malzone walks in in your living room, and as, as a young prospect, you say, man, this guy's offense is way more fun to run uh, than Nick Saban's. You know, I get to throw the ball 30, 40 times a game in Gus Malzahn's offense. In Nick Saban's, I get to throw the ball maybe 15, 20 if I'm a top-line quarterback or a, a prospective wide receiver. So I just think the landscape of college football is changing, and, uh, you know, a coach like Nick Saban seems to be somewhat stubborn in his ways. Um, but, you know, may, maybe he'll adapt a little bit. Obviously, Lane Kiffin tried to open things, some things up last season, but – I think it's only a matter of time before Lane Kiffin moves on. Yeah, I agree with that. I would imagine that if he puts together another strong season this year with a new quarterback, whoever that may be for Alabama, there's going to be a ton of teams that come calling for Lane Kiffin. Now, look, you know, when you get to the recruiting question, I mean, or, or the whole discussion, there's one thing to be said about coaches that go after the best players. For instance, the Robert Condicis. I got a chance to see him play in high school out of Grayson, Georgia. He ends up going to Ole Miss partly because his brother played for the team at the time and also because Hugh Freeze and his staff did an excellent job of selling him and then surrounding him with all the other players that you mentioned, the Tunsils, the Treadwells. But for the most part, you're going to have these top players are going to end up at the SEC schools, the Southern schools, the Texas schools, and up through California, potentially at Oregon as well, because they're the, the swag factor of playing for the Ducks, right? You can wear 86,000 combinations of uniforms and you can be the sweetest looking guy out on the planet if you go to Eugene. 
But there's also the other side of it, as we all know, because we're all former players, is that you can get be at another place, call it Oklahoma, Michigan State, some of the other programs around the country where you just have a great group of coaches that are going to take a three-star athlete, turn them into a four- or five-star athlete because of great coaching. So there's one thing to go out and get the best players in high school. There's the next thing about saying, okay, we may not be able to get that next that tier. We're going to have to drop down to the three, maybe four stars, and through coaching and hard work and maybe the fact that they were looked over by these big programs motivates them to be a better player. Jordan Matthews is a guy that comes to mind. Overlooked in high school, goes to Vanderbilt. What does he do? He sets SEC records. He gets drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. Likely going to be the number one option for them because he was hungry. Everybody continued to pass him up, say he wasn't good enough to go to the big-time programs, and look at him now. Well, one one question, uh, as we, we talk about that sort of depth of talent in some of these other programs that are finding sort of, you know, the found goal. You, you mentioned Ole Miss. You mentioned Vandy. Some of these other teams that are starting to purge and find other players that go on and play on Sundays. What about sort of this idea that a lot of these aren't coming through the Blue Bloods? I think Tennessee is in a position to have a resurgent season, but Arkansas you know, an old an old style team. You know, playing there in War Memorial Stadium. They've been around forever. Brought brought back to life by a, a Big Ten coach and Brett Bielema. You know, at Wisconsin came through Iowa, Mizzou uh, quietly out there uh, winning their half of the SEC, and uh, really had a quiet sort of resurgence season of their own in 2014. And you know, they're they're a brand new baby swaddled in clothing to the SEC. They've only been around for a couple seasons. A and M in the same. Same same sort of scenario with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, what about the idea that you know some of the best things that are being done in this conference now that are keeping them relevant, or at least keeping them sort of at the top of that heap, is actually coming from outside the conference? You, you know, when, when you look at uh, the impact that I think some of the coaches that have entered the SEC, and in particular I'm talking about Missouri head coach Gary Pinkle or Kevin Sumlin and Texas A&M, and you look at the overall effectiveness, I mean – First year, you know, uh, Kevin Sumlin's rookie year, let's call it, he goes 11-2 and two in the SEC, and the SEC West in particular, which is remarkable if you think about it. You know, Gary Pinkle, uh, another guy who comes from a Big 12 program, and everyone kind of kept saying, you know, it's going to take some while to adjust. I mean, he was an immediate factor in the SEC East as far as determining who, who the division title would go to. I mean, he's found a way of, you know, developing edge rushers and then getting – the ball into his, you know, into his playmaker's hands in space by utilizing more of a spread offense at times. You know, this year, I, it's hard to tell what kind of year Matty Mock's going to have. Um, he, he's kind of all of a sudden a little bit of that Johnny Manziel in him where he could go off and have a fantastic game, um, but at the same time, he, he, saw, he could also throw four picks the next week. So it's hard to really tell. But he, he always, to me, feels like I feel like he's a dark horse for the Heisman, uh, or at least in contention for that. But you know, when you look at what these guys have done, they I really feel like Texas football in particular is almost at the forefront of the innovation of college football. I mean, they're the ones that have really implemented the spread and, and made it kind of, um, you know, widespread throughout the, throughout the Big 12, really. You almost see every team utilizing that, trying to put their skill players in space and then being able to develop pass rushes and corners. And, you know, both Missouri and both Texas A&M have, have basically brought that style of play you know, into the SEC, and, you know, Nick Saban will be the first to tell you, that gives him fits. I mean, he absolutely can't stand it when, when teams play with a pace 
And when they play with that spread style offense, and it put his, he puts this very talented defense in positions where all of a sudden they have to make tackles in space. They can't rely on those gang tackling or everyone rallying to the football, something that he's coached for such a long period of time. I think that's really what's kind of started to turn the tide uh, in the SEC. When you look at the style of offense, you know, a couple of these teams now, whether it's Missouri or, or Texas A&M or even Gus Malzahn, bringing that to Auburn, that's really what started to play a factor um, I think on the overall parity that's in the SEC right now is the, is the style of play. And, you know, I think you've got to credit a little bit Missouri and Texas A&M and, and what they've been able to bring from a, a separate conference in the Big 12. Yeah, I think it's a great point because you even got some of the more traditional teams, if you will, in the SEC are starting to dabble a little bit more with spreading it out. I mean, you look at teams like Georgia, even Alabama last year. Alabama's considered a pro-style offense. But you wouldn't necessarily say that when you look at Amari Cooper's numbers because they found a way to get him isolated in space and one-on-one coverage because he's one of the best players in the country, and he did that. I mean, he just terrorized everybody that he went up against. Same thing could be said about Georgia. A lot of times these teams want to spread you out, but then they want to gash you with the running game, and Georgia's always going to have a stable of running backs and looks like Nick Chubb is going to be the next guy that's going to be making a run towards the Heisman Trophy as well. But it is, I mean, the spread is starting to start, starting to migrate into other more traditional programs. Now, maybe not with the tempo, so you're not going to necessarily see Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin go on, you know, trying to run 85, 90 plays a game like Oregon does. But there are a, a lot of teams that are implementing it because they're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm trying to stop this on tape from a defensive standpoint. Why are we not running this offensively? We've got the same type <laughs> of players. We've got athletes. Why can't we do it as well? Um, it's just fascinating, though, to see, and Brady, you talked about Texas A&M and Missouri. Now, Missouri's been great on defense. If they're going to lose their defensive coordinator this year, Dave Speckles, he takes a head coaching position. On the other hand, Texas A&M has not been playing good defense. They go to LSU and pluck away one of the best defensive coordinators in college football and John Chavis. And, oh, by the way, Auburn did the same thing by hiring Will Muschamp, one of the best defensive minds in the game. So, all of these teams in the conference are kind of really having to, to, to devote resources on the defensive side of the ball because they're facing such potent offenses each and every week. All right, guys, let's change gears here a little bit and talk some fantasy football. Week one of the NFL season is almost upon us. That means it's FanDuel time. Here's why you need to get on FanDuel. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site, more than everybody else. They're paying out over $75 million a week. That's $75 million bucks a week this football season. It's a salary cap format, and we love that because you get to pick any players you want for just one week. No season-long commitment. There's entry fees that just start at a buck. That's just a dollar. So anyone can play. The barriers to entry are very, very low. So if you love FanDuel as much as me, hit me up on Twitter at Chatham58 and let me know. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code FBF and sign up now. It's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel's going to match it with up to 200 bucks. I think it's earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200. The offer's only good for the first 50 people that sign up and use my code FBF today. So don't forget to use my code FBF. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. All right, guys, I'm going to kind of transition here a little bit into to 
what people are saying, and I kind of want to get your opinions on if they're in the ballpark, if we just don't know because predictions are so tough to do in a game with 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who are going to change. But, um, you know, I teased it earlier that maybe it was Alabama and everyone else. The general consensus actually coming out of SEC media days is not so much that. I mean, I think there's, there's a general thought out there in some of the preseason rankings or some of the power rankings that Auburn may be that sort of Expected number one, potentially. Uh, Georgia, I think, is back near the top of the heap. Some people have Alabama still in that mix, although resolving the quarterback situation, reloading with all those stars they lost, you know, T.J. Yeldon and and Cooper and all those kinds of things. Um, And then still wondering if Ole Miss will will be able to pull it off again and be back in the mix. But there is sort of a a divergent set of uh, opinions out there on who will make up that top group. You'll notice I didn't mention LSU, who's usually a perennial, but not in a lot of people's top four. I didn't mention Florida. Who, with uh, new coach McElwain from uh, Colorado State, people have in sort of more of a rebuilding kind of mode. How do you feel about who sort of the uh, the elite of the of the conference will be? Uh, do you agree, generally speaking, with that list of Auburn, Alabama, Georgia? Or are there some people that legitimately be a part of that conversation as well? I'll start with you, Brady. You know, I, I, I actually – I obviously agree with Auburn. I mean, I've picked them to win the SEC. You know, SEC overall, SEC West in particular. Um, you know, I think, again, the addition, which Rack pointed out, of, of Muschamp on the defensive side of the football automatically makes them a better team, uh, regardless of how many returning starters they have coming back. But then you look at Jeremy Johnson and, and even the small sample size that he's played, he's been incredibly efficient and he's going to be a dynamic player. I mean, the people are, are starting to kind of – Whisper and mention, you know, Cam Newton-like or, or Cam Newton-esque as far as the style of play. And Shaq Williams is obviously a, a top-line talent, a wide receiver, probably the best uh, wide receiver along with Laquan Treadwell from Ole Miss in the conference. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about Alabama is, you know, they, caught, they entered the season again with Nick Saban trying to figure out who the quarterback's going to be. Um, I think someone had told me they just listed like five guys as their starter for their first game of the season, which is just <laughs> Nick Saban-esque. Um, but, you know, he's got a record of 38-3 and when starting a first-year quarterback. And that actually goes through – I just heard a stat that actually blew my mind. That's two national championships and actually one college football playoff, at which he did with Blake Sims. Now, Racker or uh, Chatham, you guys can maybe back me up on that. I heard that stat. I, I looked it up, couldn't find anywhere, but someone got it from somewhere, and it's got to be somewhat true because you're talking about Nick Saban, and I'm 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 almost positive it kind of goes back to the Greg McElroy, AJ McCarron, those eras, and then obviously including Blake Sims in that, which would make a lot of sense. But so it's it's incredible stat, and it's just hard to really ever count Alabama out. You know, I I personally think LSU has a has a you know chance. They just need to get better quarterback play. I mean, Jennings and Harris last year both were uh, you know, average at best. I think Leonard Fournette kind of carried the load, but you can only do that so much. Uh, you know, UK is a team that, to me, is a dark horse. I mean, I, I really think uh, Mark Stoops has has it kind of going on down there. I really like Patrick Tolles. Now, look, again, this is Kentucky. Um, you know, <laughs> Tennessee is probably the better pick uh, as, as maybe a dark horse to, to win the conference, but still – Kentucky, I don't, you know, ESPN hasn't been an eight and four team. I can see them being somewhere between, you know, a five hundred team and, and eight and four. Um, but they're really on the up and up. I mean, it, it's hard to say that you know Mississippi State can be back in contention with what they you know did last season and that how much they lost and they're a team that didn't have a ton of talent. Um, you know, really Dan Mullen did an incredible job of of developing that senior class that's now graduated and it's kind of left Dak Prescott all by himself to carry the load. So. 
I think they're going to have a huge drop off. But you know, I think there's going to be some teams emerging, whether that's Tennessee or Kentucky, um, being more competitive and better than people give them credit. And, and, and you know, again, it's, it's national championship or a bust with Alabama. I think Auburn and Alabama will be two teams battling it out. What do you think, Rack? Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of valid points. As far as ranking where the teams are right now, I'll be honest with you guys. I have no clue. With all <laughs> right. the question marks as far as what needs to be filled at the quarterback position, I have no idea what to think of what's going to happen. Um, let's let's talk about Georgia, for instance. They had Aaron Murray, who was a phenomenal quarterback for a number of years for them. And the difference was is they had Hudson Mason behind them. He had been behind Aaron Murray his entire career, decided to redshirt to create a year of separation because he knew he was going to be the guy. To me, that's a little bit of a different of an adjustment because this is a guy that's been in the system for a number of years, and we knew he was going to be the starter. But now at Georgia, at South Carolina, at Florida, um, I mean, you've got so many teams. LSU is not necessarily having a new quarterback, but they need to play better quarterback play. Uh, Ole Miss, there's going to be a new quarterback. Quarterback playing Arkansas, I think, has been average. And, you know, say what you want about college football. I mean, we always talk about the NFL being a quarterback-driven league. College football has gone to the same thing as well. I think it's a quarterback-driven sport, if you will. And if you've got a great one, you've got a chance. That's why we talk about TCU and Ohio State as the two chick picks this year. As far as the SEC yet, I would agree that I'm going to go with the Blue Bloods, the Auburn and Alabama, just because of the track record. And that stat that you threw out, Brady, I mean, I I think it's completely accurate because you go all the way back, start it with John Parker Wilson, and then after him it was McElroy, then after him it was McCarron, and then after him it was Sims. These guys were all new at the time, but they've been still competing at an extremely high level. The same could be said this year for whoever Lane Kiffin decides to put behind center, but I just don't know if I can handicap it as easily this year because you just don't know what you're going to get from these quarterbacks. Well, you guys went through your list. The two of you sort of talked about a handful of teams that might be involved. And as often happens and as is often the gripe coming out of Columbia, Missouri, Missouri doesn't get mentioned. And that's just sort of the nature of things. Maybe it's because they're, they're, they're sort of pampers new in the SEC, but or is it part of a little of uncertainty of what's going on down there? I mean, we obviously say Gary Pinkle has been doing a great job. Uh, and, Brady, you actually wrote about this in your SEC preview on footballbyfootball.com. You, you talked a little bit about Matty Mock and how he's one of those guys who maybe this perception of what to think about Mizzou is driven in part by not knowing what to think of him, a guy that one moment looks like a Heisman candidate, the next moment you're pulling out hair, I can't do that, I don't have any. But, you know, he's, he's sort of a roller coaster kind of personality. Is that is that driving some of the expectations or lack thereof in Missouri? I think it's the lack thereof. I think there was a lot of hype around him really kind of emerging on the scene and seeing his potential, uh, you know, as a freshman, as a young player on the Missouri team, a lot of people sort of say, look, this is the second coming of Johnny Manziel. You know, Matty Mott comes from a, a small area in Kenton, Ohio. His dad's the coach there at the Division Six, the smallest in Ohio school. And what they wrote is a five-wide spread. And essentially, Matty had the opportunity to kind of basically call whatever plays he wanted, and if he ran the football – he was running, and it was all on him. Well, the hard part is, is when you go to a higher level of football, you've got to have some help. You can't do it all by yourself. And I think he's slowly starting to kick that habit of trying to do too much by himself, you know, not just throwing away the ball when he needs to and try to making a play with his feet and taking a sack for 15, a 15-yard loss or a sack fumble or something of that nature or throwing a ball into a too tight of a window. So I think he went through some growing pains. And really when you look at it, his career stats – 
you know, he's 14 and four as a record starter. And, but the ironic thing is those games he's had his most productive games have been the ones that they've actually lost. He's actually won more games kind of playing so-so or average at best, trying to limit turnovers and really just managing the game. So I'll be curious to see what they're capable of doing this season. I mean, you know, their, their biggest games that come on the road are Georgia and Arkansas. Uh, but really besides that, they don't have too many tests. So I really think Mizzou could take a step towards, you know, contending for the SEC's title. And I think Matty Mock is a guy that you're not hearing a ton of buzz about. Um, but, look, he's got Bud Sasser, Jimmy Hunt, uh, you know, Darius White coming back, and, and Sean Culkin, their tight end. Um, or excuse me, he's, he's a tight end. He's kind of like a wide receiver. I mean, you know how they are nowadays. But, you know, all of them very viable options. So I expect him to have a really big year. I'm telling you, by the end of it, if Missouri's in contention for the SEC, Matty Bach will be up for the high just based on the length of our show, we, uh, you know, in a 14-team league, it's a little tough to, to go real deep on all of these guys. And I'm looking here, one of the places we didn't touch on was South Carolina. I just want to mention that Myrtle Beach is awesome. Uh, but moving on, we always, to, we always try to end this show with, uh, you know, sort of the big picture question. And, and for each of the other five, uh, the other four in the Power Five conferences, we've talked about, inevitably somebody's going to come out of one of these places and where do they stand in sort of your view throughout college football and in this instance if you come out of this conference and you're the winner of the sec where do you feel whomever comes out of this race where will those standing be in this national college playoff will the winner of this conference be a viable uh, contender for the national title i'll start with you brady yeah, I think whoever the conference champion is will, will definitely be a contender for the national title. Uh, I mean, again, if we're talking about the Blue Buds, Alabama, Auburn, I think they've got the talent and depth really behind it to, to make that happen. Because I mean, you're talking about most likely going up against an Ohio State team again, maybe not as a four seed, maybe now Ohio State's that one seed. Uh, and then you look at the rest of the landscape of college football. I mean, how do they stack up versus, um, you know, one of the teams from the Pac-12 South, whether that's Arizona, you know, Arizona State, USC, UCLA, I mean, I think that, you know, all those teams are, are kind of in a similar situation to what's happening in the SEC. It's, you know, there's so much parity in the conference that the Pac-12 and the SEC, those teams could be beating each other up to the point where, you know, they're going to end up being a three or four seed, having to travel a further distance to whatever that semifinal game is um, and, and having to deal with that. I mean, granted, look, it's on the road. I get that. Uh, but at the same time, that still plays a little bit of a factor, in particular when you're Oregon playing Florida State in the Rose Bowl. I mean, Florida State's got to travel all the way across the country to come out and play that game, and it's basically filled with a bunch of Oregon fans. It's almost like a home game for them just having to come down to Southern California from Oregon. So um, I really think the parity in the Pac-12 and SEC could end up being uh, somewhat of a deciding factor in which team ends up coming out to be the conference champion and how they are represented in the college football playoff. I don't even know if that answered your question, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) It was entertaining. I'm not sure if it did either, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Rack. How do you feel? Yeah, no, no, no. Just to kind of take the whole conversation full circle, I mean, we've we've kind of talked about parity as the gap been closed, and and hopefully this helps answer your question. Um, The SEC competes for the championship? Absolutely, because in my opinion, there's no way an SEC champion – is going to be left out unless something absolutely crazy happens, which it hasn't happened in a long time. Um, And they're always going to have a chance uh, to win the national championship. But the gap, I believe, is closing because of how good Ohio State looks on paper right now. 
assuming TCU stays healthy, they should be in the mix. You know, again, like Brady said, whoever comes out of the, out of the Pac-12, which my kind of shoe in right now is USC, just because I've got Nebraska this weekend. So I was watching Nebraska versus USC last year, and I looked at all the speed and the young playmakers that they had, and I was like, oh goodness, they're only going to be one one year more mature and experienced next year uh, with potentially a first round quarterback. Um, so the gap is closing. Can they win it? Absolutely. But with all the questions at the quarterback position in the conference, I don't know if that conference now is my favorite. I would, I would still to lend a, lend a hand or, or tend to go towards Ohio State just because of all the talent that they have coming back, assuming that none of these guys ends up getting any more trouble and getting suspended like they will be for the first game. Right. Rack, real quick, I just saw a two-loss SEC champion, a two-loss SEC champion. Gets in the college football playoff, yes or no? I would say yes, and I know it's going to sound crazy, and it also depends on what happens in the other the other conferences, but I just think you're going to be hard-pressed to keep an SEC champ out of the playoff. I know that's one of the biggest stories going around college football, but, yeah, and, and unless the other, the other four contenders are all undefeated, uh, yes, I still think they get in. It'd be interesting to watch, guys, and there's a good chance uh, even out in that ACC, which is you know had Florida State fly through, maybe they're a, a two-loss conference champion as well, and that makes that decision easier. Then you're going to two-loss ACC versus two-loss SEC, or who knows. But I uh, want to thank both you guys. Awesome stuff today. Thanks so much for uh, for doing this, and uh, thank you also out there. Thank you for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from these guys and others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FBByFB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.